Welcome to the podcast, All My Friends Are Therapists. My name is Annie Kendig, and I'm a licensed mental health professional. And although I have my own therapist, my friends always end up filling in the gaps. Each episode will be real talk mental health topics with a licensed mental health counselor who turns all of her friends into therapists. Hi, everyone. I'm back. Can you believe it? I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be doing this again. Man, first episode in like a year, but I am so excited for today's talk that I'm going to share with you. We are talking to my friend, Brian Valasek. He is a therapist specializing in substance use disorders. He's a private practice owner and a business coach. Brian and I met several years ago at a book club for therapists. Because of my anxiety, I would wake up early before our 8 a.m. meeting and make sure I was caught up on the reading material. Brian's insightful comments and thought-provoking questions were engaging and helpful during the group discussions. It wasn't until much later that I realized he rarely read the material. But I let that all slide because Brian was busy helping therapists like me getting their businesses up and running. One topic that he helped me with and that we will be talking about today is the importance of niching. Or is it niching? Hi, Brian. <laughs> Hi, Annie. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So today we're talking about um, in the therapy world, specifically the private practice therapy world, the importance of niching. Niching. <laughs> we know that there's they're both. Hopefully, no, no, we don't know that. I think we looked that up. Hopefully by the end of this. If you gain nothing, it will be how to pronounce that word. Right. There'll be two camps, I'm sure. That's true. Very controversial. (laughs) Okay, so the importance of finding a niche and a niched therapist when you're looking for, you know, mental health help. So tell me, what is niching when it comes to mental health therapy? Well, I'm going to say niching. It's just more comfortable. (laughs) So niching is more... But that doesn't sound right. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> niching is, I think a better word might be specialty. Yeah. Right? Like if you're, Can we if, use specialty? Yeah, if, you're, if, <laughs> if you're a client out there, you're looking for somebody who specializes in what you need help with. Mm-hmm. If you've had trauma, you need a trauma therapist. Mm-hmm. If you have an addiction or substance use issue, you want somebody who's, who's not afraid of that and specializes in that, etc. But what happens when you have a client who's like, I'm anxious and I'm depressed, or mm-hmm. I'm anxious and so I'm using substances to cope? Mm-hmm. Do you find a mood therapist or do you find a substance abuse therapist? That's really interesting. I think you want to get all three, right? The mood, the mood, the anxiety, and the so substance. So you find three different therapists. <laughs> now you find one that can do all that three. Do well, it. now the good news about anxiety and depression is that most of us are at least competent with anxiety yes. and depression. However, I'll use myself as an example. I've not cracked the code on depression. I don't list depression as a specialty of mine. Anxiety, yes. Sure. Anxiety, we can look at ins and outs of it and social anxiety and GAD and everything else. So, yeah, hopefully somebody who can do all three. But that's not to say you absolutely have had clients in your office that are suffering from depression. Of course. So Of course. I just don't know how to maybe take them as far as somebody who specializes with depression, right? So that's, I think that's a great point of why it's so important to find a specialized therapist because you know you're getting... 
the best that you can and you're getting the most growth that you can, the most recovery that you can. And then when that kind of bucket's full, you move on to something else of like, okay, Mm -hmm. my depression symptoms are still here, but I've got the substance abuse maybe under control or Mm -hmm. manageable. And then you move on. Is that correct? Yes, and that that that's one of the questions that's really important to ask if you're asking your prospective therapist, if you're interviewing them, uh, which I do encourage to do. You want to see how they do therapy, mm. because are they just are they going to look with a single-minded focus on one thing to the exclusion of others? Are they going to look for the root cause of stuff? Are they going to go deeper? Are they going to look for the fuel source? Right. So when I work with people with addiction, I was kind of joking earlier about like, well, they called me a drug therapist at one of my previous things. I didn't like that because about 80, maybe 90 percent of what we talked about wasn't anything about drugs or even using drugs or not using drugs. Mm-hmm. It was about the underneath. Right. It was about the anxiety, the 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 depression, the trauma, the interpersonal it. difficulties, the shame, the self-esteem, mm-hmm. et cetera, that was fueling the addiction in the first place. So that's so hard because, so in our field, you can specialize in, you know, or you can go get a degree and become qualified to treat mental health, which under that umbrella also contains substance abuse, but you mm-hmm. can also go and get a degree to specialize in just treating substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Right. So or in the state of Ohio, you know, they recognize that that like you can just do substance abuse. And I teach at a community college that has programs that just do the substance abuse, you know, tract. And it is so hard when we're doing like techniques classes. Mm-hmm. How do I teach them strictly a substance abuse technique? I don't think there's any such thing unless you're doing like what motivational interviewing, but you do that for everything. And no matter what, some sort of mood disorder or trauma or something is going to come up. So then what is that substance abuse therapist supposed to do? Go, oh, shh, no, 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 can't talk about that. That's under out of my scope. Like, that's so tough. Right. And then what's, uh, that's one problem. The other problem is if if they end up talking about it and you're not competent or qualified to talk about it per se. Right. And so either way, you're kind of screwed there. So So then maybe a a similar thing happens when, let's say, you have underlying trauma or maybe a PTSD diagnosis, but you go see somebody who isn't specialized in that. You know, maybe they can help you as far as with coping skills of like how to deal with triggers, blah, 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 but they're not trained or they don't have that underlying skill set to go beyond and go Mm -hmm. further in actually treating the underlying seed. Exactly, because most trauma therapies involve looking at, going back and looking at the therapy, feeling the feelings, examining different aspects of it, or or talking to that kid who was involved in that, for example. Um, so, again, I don't know much about trauma therapy, so don't come see me for trauma, <laughs> by the way, because um, I can only take you so far. And, and you, you detailed how far can that person take? Well, the superficial parts, really. Not really the healing parts. And, and that has a purpose. But if sure. you leave it there, and a lot of therapists do, not just with trauma, but with everything. Yeah. Like some people have a systematic approach to let's do coping skills and help you feel better. I think a, cl- a clinician who talks only about coping skills, that should be a red flag. <laughs> yes. Let's put that on the red flag list. Red flag yes. list. Okay. Yeah. Oh, strictly coping skills. I mean, honestly, I don't end up talking a lot about coping skills. I mean, you can Google that. 
So yes. different things to do. And I even hate that term. Mm-hmm. I don't even like saying, mm-hmm. let's give you some coping. I don't right. even like that. But, you know, clients, whether that's a disservice that our profession has done to the wider population, mm-hmm. they come in, at least in my experience, saying, I need coping skills to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether they think that that's the right thing to say or if they truly think that that's the, like, the cure-all. Mm-hmm. Um yeah that's tough yeah it is tough and you're bringing up a lot of things like so there is a lot more um education out there Uh, clients are savvier than ever they're more they're more mental health literate yeah uh, knowledgeable and they want to know more uh it's it's more popular and more accepted in our lexicon it's so that's fantastic stigma is going down and, and 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 awareness is going up amazing that's great but when we we are we need to be the leaders of that and not let things that are unhelpful persist mm-hmm. and bring things that are more helpful to the forefront. And one is coping skills, like this idea that okay, we're going to help you feel better, and that'll be the end of it. We're going to help you handle crap better. Yeah, ha- handling stuff better is like the lowest form of things. I you, agree. We want we want to use your problem to help you grow and transform into the person you were meant to be. Yes, and only that takes getting to the core and going beyond and looking at all these different dimensions of things and and, and doing work you've never really done before. Which is oh, I love that too of that mindset of let's get in and get out right. Mm-hmm. Like we could sit here and talk about coping skills for your entire life for every single little thing that comes up in your life. Whereas if we're going a little deeper, because I have that knowledge and that skill set to do that with you, you can learn and grow from that and then go do this on your own. You don't need to come see me forever. Like that's, I once um, interviewed a psychiatrist that I had met years ago and I asked her, you know, what's the goal in your work? And she said, for clients, for me to see clients at the grocery store, and like wave to them and just like know that they're doing their own thing and they're on their way. They don't need me anymore. They're just to see them passing at the grocery store, just mm-hmm. like living their life. And I love that. That was so great. It's awesome. So any other ideas as to why choosing a specialty for a therapist is so important or as a client, finding a therapist who is specialized is, is so important. We talked about, you know, you're making sure that they have the right skill set. What else? So for the for the client, yeah, you absolutely want to know that your therapist is not just competent in that area, but they're skilled in that area. They're expert in that area. Expert I, here, I'm using the definition of expert being you know more than the general population sure. of therapists. Yeah. Not and not just that, but passionate about it. And I don't know how you measure that, if you get a sense of that when you do that, um, whether it be a meet and greet or consultation or whatever you call it, that initial conversation. And I do encourage you to do that, not just send emails. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But but talk to your therapist before you end up talking to your therapist. It's a great investment of time. So you want to know that they're passionate about it. Hopefully that that you feel that and you hear that in their voice. Mm-hmm when they get amped up like I do when you're talking about stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? About substance dependence. Yeah, let's talk yeah, about, let's let's talk talk about, about drugs, man. <laughs> so yes. let's do it. Right. Okay, now let's kind of talk about how to find a therapist who is specialized. Well, this is where it gets a little more difficult because <laughs> cause, cause people are, what 
everybody's doing the same thing I do when I look for a plumber or some any other thing on the internet, right? We go to the internet, you go to Google and you come what comes up for therapists near me yep. is psychologytoday.com. It's mm-hmm. a it's the most popular online directory. There's other ones. There's other ones that are arguably better. Um, yeah. Uh, I I like good therapy um, okay. and therapy den. Those are good places to find people. But those those are the ones that will pop up first. And then you get to search the criteria and stuff like this. And oftentimes people are looking through their insurance. That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. But you can filter by specialty. specialty. Yeah. But people aren't the therapist, I'm afraid to tell you. And I'm going to have to out some therapists here. Yeah. Because there's some therapists with their scarcity mindset that are casting a wide generalized net so they can see more people. Now, I don't know if that, that's and that's the whole thing of yeah. niching. It's 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 the myth of niching. Right. Is that if I only list four or five or six different specialties, they have not as many people will come. That is not true. That is not true. Right. More people will come to you because they know you're a specialist. Right. You're saying I do these five things really well. OK, cool. I do these 23 things well. What's the likelihood of that? Right. And I think they treat those checkboxes more of like, yeah, I've seen a client with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen a client with this. Like, of course, you're not, you don't have control of what everybody comes in with. But yeah, that's not what those checkboxes are for. That's supposed Mm -hmm. to be able for clients to find you and be confident that mm-hmm. your skill set meets their goals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and other directories kind of make you prove that. Really? <laughs> yeah, like Therapy Den in particular will, will have you elaborate on that. So oh, you can't just cool. check. You can't just check a box. Oh, so I didn't you have know to, that. Th- so then you get to read what people are really th- saying about that. So. Oh, that's a cool. good idea. Okay, so maybe less psychology today. Sorry, psychology today. I, yeah. I took my psychology day listing off. Yeah, it was I, like, I understand. You, you feel like a little minnow. It's mm. like, no, I'm a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. Yeah, I swear. And but it's you're hard. just getting lost in these people yeah. who are just, yeah. It's hard to say if it adds you credibility. I think internet-wise, it absolutely gives you credibility. I mean, your website is where you're getting credibility. Yeah. Um, so... That'll be another one, another <laughs> your website builder and yes. how professional your website. Yeah, looks. take a look at these people's website. You I know, know it's, I know there's a lot of good therapists with crappy websites, and maybe crappy therapists with good websites, and you know, crappy or, and good therapists with crappy offices. Right, <laughs> it's like come to That's, come to the self storage facility. Right, That's right. Well, whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, some of us we prioritize different things. So right. And so that's okay. you know, I had a somebody in networking circles or relationship building circles tell me, you know, your profession is perfect for doing like an intro video on your website. Mm-hmm. It lets prospective clients like kind of see how you talk, your demeanor, and you're kind of like doing this little welcome video. And so I have done that, and I have a welcome video on my website of like. Welcome to my, man, this is what I do. I hope to talk to you soon. This is how I, you know, kind of treat. And I hoped that that would like give clients a good idea of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so I really like that. And I've actually had a couple clients that said, you know, I watched your video and you seem like someone I can talk to. And you also, yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. That you definitely want, you guys definitely want that. (laughs) Those of you who are searching for therapists, you want to be able to talk with your therapist. Everybody. And I tell people that all the time. Like, if you can't be honest here or if you can't feel like you can kind of, that this is a, a, a relaxation and kind of like 
feel good in this space, then we're off to a bed. Like, we can't mm. get anything done. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So how much do you think is on the therapist to kind of create that? To create the environment yeah, where to, there's a safe place to 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 build rapport, build relationship, and, and talk about the yeah. deep, dark, dirty secrets yeah. and all the tough stuff you've been mm-hmm. through? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the therapist's responsibility. I, yeah. I would say... Yeah, I'd say it's mostly our responsibility now. But it, the problem is, it takes both of us, right? Right. So, because then, that, what do you do with clients that like you don't get along with? I mean, not get along is a bad word, but like you can tell you're not vibing. What do you What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I think you make mention of it at yeah. some point, and you ask how How is this going for you? Um, and including this, how this is going for me as the therapist. Yes. I feel like there's, you know, you, you, know, you say what you see. Yep. I feel like there seems to be a wall or we're yeah. hitting an obstacle or this doesn't seem like we're flowing mm-hmm. like, like I would hope for. And then you can build off of that. Well, why is that? Yep. You know, and we do, we introspect a little bit. You know, we, we, we usually, you know, if that would happen, we would say, okay, what am I doing as a therapist or not doing? Because yeah. it is my responsibility yeah. to a large extent to create that environment. And I think that's a, a, a marker for clients to kind of look for, too, that your, your therapists are humans in the session with their own thoughts and feelings and attitudes towards how the session is going. And I love when therapists make mention of that or when they attend to the now mm-hmm. of like, well, what's going on here? Or, you know, I feel like, you know, that kind of stuff, like that they're not just trying to put this facade up of, no, this is perfect. This is how therapy goes. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of that that kind of fakeness. If they can right. be real to, like, this is awkward. I think that's a mark of a probably a really insightful therapist. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah, and a therapist that you would want to see because you know they're more honest. I mean, it, I think that's part of the stigma of therapy. And not only out before you get into therapy, but when you get into therapy is, like, this hyper-professionalism and this cold, mm-hmm. like Freudian expert Freudian of, yeah. kind of thing is like that's a that is a wedge between authenticity and connection. Uh, our clients, right. they are the experts. They just got stuck in some area, and we, all of our training and all of our education is to help that person get unstuck. Yeah, by We're using, using nine, what's already in them. Exactly. Using well, what they have, coupled with the little bit extra that we know, that we are expert in, sure. that we might know a little bit. All of my clients are smarter than me. I love that. And so, except maybe in a couple things. <laughs> sure. It, it, but everything else. Right. Well, and especially they know, on the What own. I mean by smarter is they know more, they have more experience. Yes. And, and, and make better decisions in all these other areas, except the, for the few that they're here for. Sure. And hopefully... I can help at least guide folks in those three different three different areas. I think that's a huge misconception that people on the whole, you know, the wider society doesn't understand about therapy is that our job is not to be experts on you or to teach you how to be a certain way so that you can get through this, blah, blah, blah. It's really to instill and build the confidence of, no, you're the expert on you. Mm-hmm. You know all of, like this, you know, how do you want to handle it? How do you know, things like that, which I love that kind of supportive nature about mm-hmm. therapy, which is really cool. And that, that reminds me of something we just talked about a few minutes ago about like the role of the therapist. I think we don't do a good job of explaining what therapy is yeah. from the outset. And maybe when we do our informed consent in that first session, we explain, or in the consultation before the first session, we might start talking about, 
what to expect in therapy. Yeah. Um, and maybe, but we need we need to educate the whole world about what therapy is because there's a lot of misconceptions, and I think it's dangerous to let a client ex- assume what therapy is supposed to be instead of telling and showing what it really is and could be. What do I mean by that? Well, if your client, if your therapist starts talking about themselves the whole time, that's a red flag. That should not happen. Yeah. If they come to you with their problems, that's a problem. If you don't feel like within four or five sessions you're connecting with this person, mm-hmm. that's a red flag. Yep. Mention it to maybe you want to give them a chance and mention it to them. It's, you know, but things like that. Yeah, no, I agree. That's those are good things to keep in mind. And we talked too about like if they're just harping on coping skills all of the time, that would be another red flag. Yeah. Just like, mm, this yeah. Or they give you a full a full assessment of your whole issue and here's what you need to do in the first session. Yep. But then maybe they haven't really, and maybe they're good, but first of all, you're supposed to come up with that insight and not the, the, the assessment, but those kind of things can happen too. Yeah. I think, and that's a good, like what to expect from therapy. That would probably be a a great way to make sh- to minimize that stuff because I've also had clients too that have you know that have come from past therapists who have said well all they did is listen mm-hmm. you know and didn't really get anything out so that's probably a red flag too of like if they're not really if you don't feel that it's meaningful conversation right mm-hmm. maybe whatever that means meaningful conversation but yeah it's a, this goes a lot more than just validation and if anything we're not here to just make them feel good no we're not <laughs> The, the most helpful thing I've probably in, in my whole therapy career was, was at school at Xavier, Dr. Brent Richardson, just support and challenge. Therapy, mm. when you break it down, is support and challenge. Wow. So some people are heavy, some therapists are uh, heavy on support. Some are heavy on challenge, but I think most are heavy on support, perhaps overly so, mm-hmm. right? And so the challenge is where the magic happens. Absolutely. Right? You want to have that rapport and connection so that you can challenge. Right? You can't come challenge the person. Well, here, here's what I think you should do. And here's what, here's what your blind spot is. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's just judgmental and not going to be heard. Yeah, not helpful. But if there's a rapport and the person understands the context of why you're saying what you're saying, everything we say, I tell my clients, everything I say in, is intended to be helpful. <laughs> everything. I'm not, if I'm not, even if, if I can't say something. Even if it's a challenge, some, right, mm-hmm. even if it's. Yes, absolutely, even wow. if it's a challenge. Yeah. Perhaps especially if it's a challenge. Yes, because you can't be open to a challenge unless you are truly thinking that that person is there to help you and support you, right? Or else it's just comes off as criticism or demeaning mm-hmm. in some way, and that's not what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. I want to come back to something that you had said earlier called scarcity mindset. So you said some therapists have scarcity mindset. What does that mean? To me, scarcity mindset just means fear that you'll never have enough or uh, you won't get enough. Right. Okay. And that's what we were talking or, about. Or, checking or all those boxes. everybody will leave, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we don't check those boxes. Right. Right. I think about that too of like, okay, there, there is no scarceness of people who need help with these types mm-hmm. of issues, which mm-hmm. maybe is kind of sad to think about like that, but it, maybe it is. It's I maybe mean, it's just the human condition. 
I mean, everybody should have a therapist. Oh, I agree. Right, and everybody, make sure that every, your therapist has a therapist. That's right, my favorite. Right, and I'm I'm a red flag right here. I've never done therapy, <gasps> so be careful. Yeah, I know. Brian, I know. I'm terrible. I need to. You gotta get. And we could enumerate all the different <laughs> my treatment plan and things like that. But right. but um, there's this awesome resource that you can go to, to find <laughs> one. It's called today. Psychology Today. Well, it is tough. It yeah. is tough when I I like to think that I know some of the most fabulous therapists in town. And uh, such as yourself, Annie. Oh, thank you. And, <laughs> and I couldn't see you right. and any of the other these great yeah. therapists because that's just that's unethical. Yeah, and right. it would be weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would but, be a uh, hard hat to take off and put back on. Yeah. No. Okay. Cool. So wait, <laughs> scarcity, scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. Yes. <laughs> Not here to talk about red flags and Brian. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm that transparent. I think if your therapist isn't, that's a red flag. If your therapist isn't transparent, and I don't mean telling you all their stuff, but transparent about their experience, what their qualifications, their things like that. If yeah. if they puff themselves up or all that kind of thing, be be careful. Mm-hmm. But scarcity mindset is very dangerous because it's. It's just fear. It's a fear-based decision. Yeah. I sit here and talk with my clients. There's two two really bad ways to make decisions, fear-based and shame-based. Because they're rooted largely. Shame is 100% untrue, and mm-hmm. fear is about 97% untrue. So wow. to make decisions based off of that, but here we are as therapists Damn. talking, you know, helping people with their anxiety, but we're kind of can be ruled by our anxiety. Like, I'm not going to have enough People, I'm not going to be able to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. We we encourage our clients to get out of their comfort zone. I have a sign on my on my wall that says "Get out of your comfort zone." Literally, with, the sign behind you yeah, says "We do right. hard things." And then we got to do we got to do this ourselves. So. Stuff too, and that's that is tough. And especially thinking about therapy as like gaining insight and doing a whole bunch of introspection or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it starts with us, right? He, you know, physician, heal thyself. You know, of mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Of like turn inward. Where am I doing these things? And yeah, I I love therapists who are open about that and who will lend to that as well of like yes this is so hard i think it's hard for everyone it's hard for you it's hard for me it's hard for everyone that's great so what kinds of things will kind of like alert a client to them knowing okay i found a specialist so we've talked about maybe using an appropriate referral site Mm -hmm. making sure they're not checking every box Mm -hmm. maybe they have extra trainings or accreditation or whatever what are those called continuing education hour you know things like that Mm -hmm. years of work experience in the field but how else will a client know like okay you're specialized you're exactly what i'm looking for ahead of time it's tricky yeah because because of what you just said i mean you're looking you're looking on a, a web page or a directory for for what those are so i think i would encourage clients to consider you are interviewing for a yes. good fitting therapist. Right. Take that mentality. And I know a lot of it is you're going to work with the first person who answers the phone and that sounds pleasant. Mm-hmm. I know that because there's a lot of uh, therapists that do things like not call clients back if they're full or they don't know, have any friends so they don't know to they don't know who to refer mm-hmm. that therapist that that client to. So it's pretty rough. Yeah, because so, I think, too, clients are reaching out at a time when they're the most vulnerable. Yes. They're scared. Yes. They don't really know what they're doing. They don't know how to navigate this whole process. So, And because we've done a crappy job of outlining it. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, it, and I'm not doing any better explaining what to do. I mean, <laughs> ask, your, ask the, your prospective therapist mm-hmm. what their experience is, what their training is. 
So you can filter through by using those psychology today and looking at their website and see, listening to what they have to say. If they've done a podcast or a blog or something, see what they have to say yes, about podcasts are, are very reputable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. reputable. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. So you look at, and I don't, you don't have to look at their whole body of work, but see if that would be a good fit, and then see if that matches up. When you talk to them, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to ask them questions about what training have you had. Okay, what, so what how many would, years of training? Let's give had. clients like a like word like words in the mouth. What might they say? Like, hey, how much time have you been in the field? Mm-hmm. What additional trainings have you attended? But you know, I could sit here and go, oh, you know, I've got EMDR certifications. But if the client doesn't know what that is, mm-hmm. that's on me to either educate them or fill them in or right. Like that's mm-hmm. my responsibility to say this is up my alley or mm-hmm. this is how I focus my treatment and things like mm-hmm. that. Right. That's on me. The client can do it, but they may not know what that means. Mm-hmm. So, right. And if, if you're able to, I suppose another thing to do is if you're able to identify at least roughly what your concerns are, okay, I've got relationship concerns or communication concerns or a- anxiety or depression or stress or it's trauma or it's addiction or it might be addiction. If you can come into the ballpark with what you've got, then you can ask that prospective therapist, how do you typically help people or what ways, what things do you do with someone with similar problems? And someone with going along with your plumber example from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Did you give that one? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so the plumber example, you know, when you find a plumber, you're not just gonna say hey can you also redo my kitchen while you're at it right of of like how have you seen this problem in the past or Mm -hmm. have you treated clients with this problem in the past and i speak a lot even if clients don't ask me that i tend to speak on that of like yes you know i see a lot of people with this and this is Mm -hmm. usually how i handle it or this is what i have found has been helpful for clients in the Mm -hmm. past but you know we can kind of invent our own you Mm -hmm. know whatever modality Mm -hmm. that might be helpful Okay, um, so that gives them questions to ask. Oh, we talked about free consultations. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So asking for that or treating that first contact with a prospective clinician as like a, an interview or a mm-hmm. consultation. That's mm-hmm. when you get all those questions. And don't feel pressured to like schedule right then and there. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, I want right. to think about it. I'll give you a call back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That happens all the time. Still. Right, I, and, I, and I wonder if people just kind of schedule because, again – They've been waiting five, six, seven years to make this phone call. Yes. They got sat down, found five therapists. They called five. Number five finally answered yep. and was pleasant enough, said they could help. And so I'm going to go with this person. Sure. We, we can do better, right? I agree. We can do, it does take an investment. Yeah. And again, I wish we did a better job of marketing ourselves. But again, therapists, you talk about niching. Therapists are afraid to niche because mm-hmm. of losing customers, essentially. They're also afraid to market in general. We weren't taught this stuff in school, guys. Right. No. We were not taught business. And if anything, it was weirdly taught to us with a flavor of, like, that's unethical. Mm-hmm. That kind of self-promotion mm-hmm. is not okay. And it's. I want to say this loud and clear. Therapists, marketing is ethical. Absolutely. Niching is ethical because if you can... Stand stand apart from the crowd, saying, mm-hmm. "I am good at this. I am here for you for these particular things." Right. You're a, you are a beacon of hope. Yes. People can find you. They can come to you. They don't have to filter through all this, sift through all this mm-hmm. uh, detritus to to come to you. They know where you're at, and you're there for them. But it's also so hard them. because our our profession is also 
extra in the fact that we can't ask for Google reviews, mm-hmm. right? Where so many people use that. Mm-hmm. And to go, okay, let me look at the reviews and oh, I'll never buy anything without reading mm-hmm. an Amazon review or mm-hmm. I'll never go anywhere without looking at the Google review or a Yelp right. review. We can't ask for those things. And clients aren't going to leave a session, sit in their car and go, oh, I just had a great session, five stars. You know, like clients are not doing that. So we have to market, but then the people that we help or that pool, hopefully of our impact is mm-hmm. silenced. Mm-hmm. So that's really tough. And I have a hard time with that, too, of mm-hmm. just like, okay, I can't or I don't typically accept word of mouth referrals. That can be tricky. I'm not getting Google reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really hard, too, of clients being able to find us. But it feels blind to them also. Mm-hmm. of we're just, I'm just jumping in and I'm taking your word for it that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, speaking of word of mouth, I mean, that's my favorite referral. Is because I know it, there's no higher compliment That's than so, a satisfied client saying, "Hey, telling their cousin, their yep. aunt, their uncle, their brother." Yep. What? Now, now I can't necessarily see all these folks, <laughs> right. so it might be a bro- you know a friend of a brother. Well, and you can't even be but, like, "Oh yeah, Billy, how's I, it's been forever? Right. How's he doing?" You can't right. even say something right. like that. You're so like, yeah, I may know Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yes, <all> right. <laughs> so good. All right. Any last minute thoughts? I think we covered everything. I think that's a great start of giving clients and also a little side note to therapists out there of how to get started in specializing mm-hmm. and why it's so important to find a therapist who is specialized or niched. It's, it is it is so the important, most important right? thing. Anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I would ready? like to talk more to our therapist friends about the importance of niching. <laughs> that would um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Ready for your lightning round? Sure, let's do it. All right, so I found this in a podcast that I love called Metaphysical Milkshake. I'll, you know, they sponsor today's video. No, I'm kidding. That would be awesome. But no, they do a lightning round with all of their interviewees. And it's just first thing that comes to mind. Um, Brian has not been prepped with these questions, so we'll see how he does. Okay. What is one thing that people don't typically know about you? One thing that people typically don't know. <laughs> one thing All kinds people of stuff. don't know about you. Well, it's just something. I'm like, a, um, I'm I keep everything up my sleeve. So, no. Oh, this is supposed to be lightning. Yes. <laughs> like, this like, is like the first, lightning round. Like, come first, on. I guess the first thing is that I've published poetry before. Ooh. Nobody, knows, nobody knows that. Oh, that's fast. I love that. Yeah. What is one thing that you wish everybody knew? Not necessarily about yourself, but just in general. We did talk about this a little bit earlier. Yeah. I wish everybody knew that comfort is a trap. Ooh, good teaser. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be our next podcast comfort episode. Is a comfort trap. is a trap. Run away. What is your favorite thing about this profession? Building relationships with people. A hundred percent. I love people. It just, I just, I just love talking with people, whether it be colleagues or other professionals, and and of course the clients. Yeah. Relationship building. What is next on your horizon? Professional, personal, it can be anything. If you want well, to do we're, professional. We're, we're having a baby. <laughs> That's next on the horizon. Congratulations. Yeah, That's so in, exciting. In early January. We're super excited. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Here's a softball for you. One advice that you have for your fellow therapists. Niche. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite. 
Wait, it's so easy. Well, thank you for being here so much, Brian. It was great to talk to you. I love this topic. Hopefully, we'll do an episode two on uh, comfort seeking next time. Sounds great to me. Thank you very much, Annie. I appreciate it.